Welcome to Cybersecurity Unlocked, a podcast dedicated to interviewing some of the industry's brightest minds. We will feature discussions from a wide range of subject matter experts about their careers, industry trends, and what the future holds. Hello, welcome to Cybersecurity Unlocked, episode seven. I am delighted and privileged to be joined by uh, Gene Yu. He is a, a cyber entrepreneur. Uh, he is co-founder of Black Panda, uh, based out of Hong Kong, uh, delivering uh, digital forensic incident response uh, across Asia. Uh, he has also uh, spent eight years in, in the military in counterterrorism, uh, with two tours in the Philippines and two tours in Iraq. How you doing? Good, thank you. Good, to, good to see you. Uh, thanks for having me. No it's worries. Thanks so much for co- for coming down, especially on on a weekend. I know you're uh, probably got other, other things you'd rather <laughs> be doing than this, but it's uh, it's great to see you. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously a, a, a strange year for, for, for most. I mean, mm. how, how has it been for for you guys at uh, Black Panda? Uh, you know, so certainly. Uh, uh, it's been challenging, uh, you know, the, with COVID, uh, for us, you know, we took some precautionary measures for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like to say that, uh, crisis, the, the key to success in crisis is in the preparation, right? Yeah. It actually says it on this large sign at, uh, <laughs> at the U S military uh, survival school is, uh, you know, yeah. preparation is the key to survival. And so when it occurred, uh, you know, even though we knew that cybersecurity was going to uh, increase as a problem in yeah. the COVID environment with work from home. Uh, we took precautionary measures and uh, reduced OPEX, you know, uh, retrenched, a, retrenched a few folk. Um, and then we went in, went into the, uh, into uh, the COVID kind of main period, I would say in Q1 and Q2. Um, you know, in Asia, we saw a, uh, uh, not a drop off in cyber attack. I think that's very, <laughs> that's yeah. very key to highlight. Yeah. Uh, more companies concerned about wanting to wait until after it was over, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of hopeful kind of optimism that maybe this thing would blow through in maybe three or four months, and then wanting to re-engage with our service at that time. Mm. So there's a bit of a drop-off, I would say, in the first half of this year. And then now I think we're seeing uh, both Hong Kong and Singapore realize this is not going away anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, cyber risk continues to mount, and, it, and now actually they're really starting to feel the uh, the work-from-home attacks coming in, and so business is picking up for us quite a bit here in Q3. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. Mm. And I remember when it all first started, everybody was talking about it, I'll be over in a few weeks, and... Mm. And it, it just goes to show like how ill prepared you know we were at the time. And I, yeah. I, I read this morning that uh, World Health Organization says that you know it's going to be you know we're not going to get rid of this for probably another two years. So, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's really like interesting. Like you know all of the training that you've had sort of in the military kind of mm-hmm. perfectly um, you know translates now into the, the business world where you can go right okay let's you know this is our plan. This is how we're going to this is how we're going to manage this. So yeah. I mean was that sort of an advantage to you? Do you think? I think for you know interestingly enough. Uh, crisis ends up bringing a lot of things into clarity and focus because your options are so limited. Yeah. Right. Sometimes there can be this, this aspect of, um, you know, uh, how do they call it? Like a selection, uh, selection overload, you know, or just uh, saturation, right. Just overload, um, of too many choices, yeah. right. And being paralyzed, you know, for, by, by those, uh, all the decisions that you could make. And so for me, actually, I, I did actually feel some aspect of optimism because of uh, many things I was juggling about uh, where to expand the business or where to be more aggressive um, in, in the region, which markets we wanted to go to, et cetera. And when COVID came, 
I just deleted all of those off the table, right? And it made things very clear. Let's focus on the basics, get the fundamentals in, get revenue, uh, you know, stable in these areas, one, two, three, um, and uh, streamline our business. So, you know, for me, actually, uh, in some ways, I found comfort in the fact that there was a crisis because it returned me to a, a space that I felt most comfortable making decisions, right? Really? Of just limited options and just saying, oh, well, I only have these two choices, so pick one and just go gung-ho all on it, right? right? It kind of gives a little bit of freedom in that sense of not self-doubting, you know, like the, the yeah. choice that you made because you don't have any choices, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and how did you kind of um, uh, pass that down to, you know, to your team, and at least troops mm. then, to your, yeah. to your, to your team <laughs> in, in the company? Because obviously, you know, being a business owner, you've got lots of voices that obviously you've right. hired to, you know, to get their counsel and, yep. you know, direction of the company. You know, were there any, you know, any that sort of sort of panicked or said, you know, we need to do this or, you know, how, how, did, you, how yeah. did you approach that? That's a good question. I mean, I think that uh, for the most part, um, be, again, because everybody understood uh, that we needed to streamline and uh, and hunker down. I, I call the whole time period uh, Corona Winter. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a big uh, <laughs> Game of Thrones fan, and I kind of joke around and wonder if now, uh, when COVID came and the economic downturn that we're we're all experiencing now, was that his metaphor for how you know market cycles were, <laughs> right? You yeah. Know, so that the long summers and the the longest winters, you know, sort of thing. So I joke around and call it Corona Winter. Right. So. So for me, my my uh, my initial town hall when uh, you know I realized that this was really on. We started crisis planning in January mm. uh, when we saw um, saw COVID uh, starting to spread around a little bit in Asia. I want to get ahead of it, so I set up three um, three uh, stages of a plan uh, to cut opex um, and what areas we're going to streamline streamline the company down with triggers of when that was going to occur. We ended up enacting um, all the way to the the second stage uh, by mid March, so the company was uh, early prepared. I would say that when I already started announcing that we were doing this sort of planning, yeah. uh, just to get ahead of things, um, and I think that that early communication and transparency was very important by way of aligning uh, the team uh, to understand that this was not a normal period. Right? If you can imagine, you know, again, my Game of Thrones, <laughs> you yeah. know, analogy. Now this blizzard's coming. There's White Walkers coming. You know, yeah. so. Um, this is the time that, you, you know, we need to grip hands together and conserve our scarce food, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And gut this thing out because, um, you know, we're not going to make it uh, without each other. And But we all need to uh, sacrifice because this isn't the time of, you know, uh, gold, gold uh, you know, falling from the skies and run outside with, uh, with your buckets to catch, right? It's no longer the long summer, right? Mm. And uh, I think that mentality helped focus the team, Um and more so that uh, the early communication allowed people to, I think, emotionally and mentally prepare. Mm. I never sugarcoated um, that, hey, this might be over in a few months. I mean, this is completely out of your control. You know, when you, yeah. you know, you see some leaders, uh, actually political leaders <laughs> in the world sometimes making a lot of comments, you know, that just to get that little bit of, uh, you know, good feeling that you just told your folks something that makes them feel good. And so they, you know, return those, those uh, positive feelings. But I think a lot of leadership, uh, a, a, a big part of leadership is delivering the hard truths, yeah. right? And um, I think that sort of uh, commitment to the integrity and character of uh, making sure that you're being honest to people because people are very intelligent, right? And so, yeah. you know, when you when you try to sugarcoat bad news like that, I think that's a demonstration of uh, weak leadership. Yeah. And I think that that loses confidence from the team. 
And so for me, again, so what I'm trying to say, and it's kind of sum this up, is that I think getting at it early, being very transparent, and being, to be honest, un unapologetic about having to make those sort of decisions as the captain of the ship to make sure that it stays afloat, everybody understands that if you explain it to them yeah. transparently, right? Yeah. You know, it's logical and it's rational, right? Yeah. So, you know. That's, yeah, it's a really interesting point because like you say, I mean, with uh, leadership, um, some can be, it's at odds with, you know, people that want to want to be popular, yes. be the popular manager. And mm -hmm. that sometimes is at odds with, with, you know, what's actually right. Right. This is what we need to deliver. Yeah. You know, and we uh, t just touching upon that, you know, one of the things that uh, kind of, again, harking from, you know, my West Point, you know, days and, and uh, being a, uh, a commander in the military, um, you know, as a leader, you're not there to be their friend. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I, I have enough friends, right? Like, <laughs> you know, they're, they're over there, right? So, um, and they do too as well. You know, it's not that we can't be friendly and, and have, a, you know, a friendship yeah. uh, relationship. And of course, I'm, I would consider a lot of my colleagues uh, dear friends, um, but that's not what they need. They need a leader, right? Yeah. The, the company needs a leader, right? Mm. And uh, I think that's something that as um, a CEO or, or any leadership position in, in a company, that's very important to remember because, uh, you know, you can't just be, you know, a, a group of buddies, yeah. you know, running around uh, to to, uh, to get something very difficult done, a very difficult mission to get done, which is to survive this, um, yeah, one of the worst, you know, economic downturn situations, you know, that that uh, at least in our at least in our general lifetimes that, that we've seen, yeah. um, this isn't a time for uh, uh, the weak or faint-hearted, right? It's it's time yeah. to you know galvanize and uh, steel yourself with some resolve, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, that mm -hmm. must have been very reassuring for the team as well to kind mm -hmm. of have, you know, you know those those qualities in a leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I like to think so. You know, we've. You know, one of the one of the aspects that I'm very proud of at Black Panda is we have a very strong uh, strong culture. Um, you know, we kind of call it the ride or die <laughs> culture inside the company. But um, you know, we took a lot of care into writing our core values. Um, there was a time period uh, when the company started that, you know, it's funny as a uh, you, you know, there's so many stories out there about all the crazy things that happened to founders and, and all the type of type of things. And certainly at the beginning when things get desperate, I mean, it tests your, uh, your morals, right? Like certain mm. clients, especially the, the field that we were in, we get asked to do a lot of funny things sometimes by clients. Right. Mm. And, um, uh, the team actually sat down, uh, the, the initial founding team and really, uh, kind of put the spurs and said, we need to write down what our code is, mm. right? Like who are we and what, what is going to be our guiding North star, no matter you know, what is going on and how, uh, how crazy the storm is at sea, what is our guiding North star to make sure that we don't deviate from our code of like mm. who we are as, and what our principles are. And so if you read our core values, um, they're not the typical core values that you'll read in a company, right? One of the ones that I always kind of, you know, and if people are offended by this, so be it, but you know, I'm always a little bit, uh, 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 snidish about when I see a core value, like, uh, integrity in a company. Mm. And it's like, for me, like, yeah, what do you mean? Of course you need integrity. Like how can you, <laughs> you know, yeah. like if I think that you don't have any integrity, how can you even work here? Right. So, yeah, of course, yeah. so, so for us, we try to be very specific on the core values of mm. things that maybe you wouldn't have thought. Uh, so specifically like our number one core value is balance, mm -hmm. right? Um, I believe deeply that the quality of your mind determines the quality of your decisions and the quality of your decisions will determine the quality of your life. Yeah. And that is a very important message at Black Panda is that, there is more than just this work that we're doing. It has to work in combination with your personal life because the two are mutually 
mutually tied together. Right. Yeah. The better your personal life is, to be honest, the more balance you have, the better I believe you're going to contribute to the to the team. Yeah. And vice versa, back into your personal life. Yeah. And so those are some of the aspects that, you know, we've uh, we've promoted at Black Pan is quite a bit of uh, holiday. You know, like I've, like I've mentioned, we have a lot of public holidays over, I think it's like 25 or 26. Everybody has four weeks, <laughs> four weeks off. Every Friday is uh, is technically off. Okay, most people end up end up working. Mm. Call those panda days, right? Your birthday yeah. is off. Black panda's uh, anniversary day is off. Yeah, because I wanted to create an environment where people knew that they were entrusted to manage their time as mm. they saw fit. Yeah, the standards never dropped. Right, yeah. my standards are very high in the company yeah. and and uh, can be a little bit uh, can be very direct and candid about you yeah. know when when uh, when deadlines are certain uh, certain quality standards are not met um but the time is your own mm -hmm. and i think that's an incredible amount of um a contribution to balance in somebody's psyche yeah. of just understanding that you have a choice right yeah. it's option value yeah, right yeah, and yeah. uh and so you know I, anyway so what i'm trying to say is that um you know balance being our number one core value we've got a few others you know like for instance you know i take uh, sincerity, you know, is a, is a better word to describe what I think people want to say mm. about integrity and a core value, yeah. right? Sincerity about actually doing what you say and yeah. that's it, right? Yeah. Just having, uh, the true sincerity about what, what you're saying and not being loose with your words. So anyway, so the core values I think has been, uh, something that has helped us quite a bit through the, uh, the Corona winter as well. When I talk mm. about having that guiding North star, uh, on our values and, and, uh, and, uh, our principles, um, every month we have a, uh, you know, a, uh, an award, uh, we, you know, because we're black panda, we give out a lot of panda <laughs> oriented type of type of gifts and we choose a different panda stuffed animal every month. And then the, uh, the team members, uh, vote and cite who demonstrated, uh, a core value, you know, most clearly. Okay. And, uh, it's kind of nice to see that peer to peer validation. Yeah. And, uh, we have a speech at the end that, you know, for it or whatnot and award out the, you know, the panda, um, anyway. So uh, that's one thing that if, you know, for any listeners I thought was successful for me by way of getting through crisis is coming back to those base fundamentals aspects of yeah. what do you stand for as an organization, mm -hmm. right? Like, who are you, yeah. right? And uh, I think defining those values and those principles are um, incredibly important uh, when you're dealing with uh, in times of uncertainty, yeah. right? That you can always kind of reach back to that, uh, that pillar and that foundation and know, ah, I understand this, this is solid here, right? Yeah, I yeah. believe in this, you know? Yeah. And if everybody's aligned on that, and we understand again, to use my, my term of that North Star that's always kind of pointing in the right direction. Yeah. So long as we're moving along this route, we have confidence and uh, confidence and, uh, and belief that we'll, we'll be okay, right? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. No, that's, uh, that's awesome. And it, yeah. it's great to get, the, I guess, your, your staff thinking about or your team thinking about the values all the time and having those kind of awards because, mm. you know, company values can obviously, you know, can quite often just be sort of ignored, you know, yeah. once they've done their introduction, they're never really sort of thought about again, right. especially the bigger the company. And yeah. so it's great that you've, yeah, you, that you do that. Yeah, yeah. it's quite unique. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I mean, I was um, I was reading up on the, uh, the Black Panda mm. uh, story, the, mm. uh, the origins with, you know, yeah real interest i mean t tell us about how how you got started with it yeah okay so um you know maybe just a, as a brief overview of my background I, I know you gave me an introduction but yeah yeah kind of, of, course, kind of yeah. starts from that a bit right yeah. so um you know so i'm you know born and raised in the states uh you know born in boston and grew up in uh, california and um you know, I grew up in Cupertino, California, which I always, <laughs> I always joke around a bit now when I talk about my background because 
uh, for most of my life, nobody's ever heard of Cupertino. <laughs> and then when Apple, you know, really blew up in the last, you know, mm -hmm. 10 years or so, uh, actually tongue in cheek, sometimes people will say, where are you from? And I'll just say Cupertino, you know, like, <laughs> and see if they know, because before yeah. I used to say that, I'd have to trace it. Sometimes people even didn't even know where San Francisco was uh, internationally, right? So um, anyway, so uh, I bring that up is because, uh, you know, I've been coding in Pascal and Fortran since I was like 10 or 11 years old. You know, I grew up in the heart of Silicon Valley, right? Right. Uh, both my parents are uh, lifelong engineers. Um, and uh, so, you know, I majored in computer science. When I decided to go to West Point, you know, I had kind of this adventure itch, wanted to see, you know, this is pre-9-11, pre right? So this is yeah. just like peacetime and thought it'd be adventurous to go to West Point. 9-11 uh, occurred right when I graduated in 01 and the uh, whole world turned upside down. It was a wow. watershed moment, right? Yeah, and yeah. so, um, you know, everything was no longer games, you know, just kind of playing soldier and getting this life experience of these, these lessons and it was for real. Um, yeah, and for the next eight years, basically went on, uh, you know, this American rampage to the Middle East with them. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was stationed in Korea and Japan, but deployed basically worldwide. Uh, fought twice in, uh, in Iraq and twice in the Philippines. Um, so four, four combat tours total. Yeah, uh, it's quite intense. Uh, 48 months that I was a special forces uh, captain, I was deployed for 44 months. Yeah, right. so um, I was one of the most deployed uh, captains, I believe, in my year. It was quite a whirlwind. Uh, I decided to step out and see what the rest of the world had. Uh, I had a very good, good fortune to meet my current co my co-founder and current chairman, uh, Matthew Pecco. Uh, pretty much socially, there's a little story behind that as well. But uh, so Matthew Pecco at that time was uh, the head of Prime Services at uh, Credit Suisse, which is a very big. Oh, uh, that's right. Vision. Right, yeah. Because I saw you you had you tried your hand at uh, trading as well, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so uh, so Matt commanded the same. Special Forces team I did in Okinawa, but about 20 years prior to me, right? And um, so we just connected and I mean, you know, with, there's more to this story, but basically after meeting him for five minutes, he just said, hey, what are you doing? I'm gonna pull you out of grad school. I was at John's office at the time, pull you out of grad school and put me in a, uh, a front office uh, uh, equity swaps uh, stock borrow loan uh, uh, trading trading seat, and so I did that <laughs> for a little while, right? And uh, you know, for me, um, it was exciting. You know, I got a chance to see, you know, the Wall Street, you know, high finance, uh, you know, high flying lifestyle, of, you know, and all the type of stuff. Um, uh, but you know, sitting in front of six screens a day, that wasn't really my, you know, it was, it was just too much of a, like, it was just too uh, jarring. You know, coming from you know, running around with my hair on fire, killing dragons and bad guys, and then sitting in front of this desk for twelve hours a day. Yeah. Right? What was the and, gap uh, from, so when did you actually finish and then you were like, you know, dumped in front of like yeah. six screens in, on Wall Street? Uh, actually, I did have a little bit of time. There's two yeah. years. Okay. Um, so I studied Chinese uh, in Taiwan for a year. Oh, cool. um, and then I went to one year of grad school and I basically dropped out. I was, at, at that point, I was just f like, I was just fed up with just sitting in class, you know, because mm. I was used to being, you know, an operator and all these things. And, and um, so I left Credit Suisse and then uh, uh, went, uh, joined in, uh, joined Palantir Technologies, you know, in uh, 2013. That was an amazing experience for me. And I had a chance to uh, help start up their business in, uh, in Asia. So I was uh, technically based in Singapore, but I, I never made it down here. I was always in Korea or the States or you know, all over the place for them. And after that got, uh, um, to be honest, uh, you know, you can see that I was bouncing around quite a bit. I started feeling a little bit lost in my identity, which is a kind of a classic story for soldiers who are transitioning back into normal life. Yeah, civilization, right? Yeah. And it really is, 
jarring because there's, there's of course so many amazing things that you learn in the military but things are so clearly black and white in so many ways in mm-hmm. uh, military life right whereas the world is very much gray right yeah. and in and, and, and uh, the lines are quite blurred and one of the things that was so clear when you're in the military is that you at least the u.s military especially the u.s military being such a a, a operational uh, organization uh there's a very clear task and purpose and they're able to define it so well for you. Right. And for us, you know, in retrospect, now you can make a lot, I can make a lot of comments about the political situation, why I was, you know, what, what I was doing in Iraq and all these type of things. But certainly at the time, the task and purpose is so clear for you. And you feel that you are there. It's beyond a job. It's a mm-hmm. calling. Yeah. Like, like I write about in, in that, uh, that article, it was a calling, right? Yeah. You wake up in the morning, and you're brushing your teeth at you know five a.m. to get ready to go you know to go to work, um, and you're and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, yeah, I'm a special forces team leader. Like I'm here to basically save the world, right? Like you mm-hmm. you have this this sense of mission that is that is um, nearly unmatched by its clarity, and so coming out where you have to define that for yourself for the first time, really, you know, it, it's very difficult to mm-hmm. pinpoint that, and. When I was bouncing around, you know, you know, very exciting to try all these different things over those four years. And I left, uh, when I was left Palantir and I was waiting to get started and, you know, I decided to take a leap into a, uh, you know, a tech startup. Um, uh, my, my mother's uh, older, my mother's best friend uh, in high school, um, her little sister named Evelyn Chang, uh, was traveling for the first time after 20 years of working in a factory in, in China saved up and decided, uh, went to a Malaysian island called Pom Pom Island, which is, um, which is not far away from Sipidon, you know, the famous diving site, yeah. you know, so, um, and, uh, on the first night that she was there, uh, uh, eight, uh, Abu Sayyaf, which is this, uh, Filipino terrorist organization in the Southern Philippines, um, came across in gunboats. Uh, she was staying in one of those bamboo Nipa huts. Um, climbed up the stairs, uh, came into the room, uh, shot her husband uh, eight times, right? Grabbed her, broke her arm on the way out, dragging her out into the speedboat, and then speared her back away into like 20, 30 minutes away by speedboat is the pretty lawless Sulu Archipelago, which is this very restive uh, area of, of Muslim insurgency yeah. um, down in the, uh, the, the uh, far reaches of the Philippines. And that's that's where I had spent uh, almost eighteen months uh, advising the Philippine the Philippine military on various uh, combat operations, trying to take take this group out. Um, and uh, so I was kind of just couch surfing at the time in Hong Kong with friends, um, just kind of waiting out, you know, and figuring out exactly the timing of my next steps and, and whatnot. Uh, my mother had traveled to uh, Taiwan, and uh, so I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll go see my my mother. And then so she had called me about it when I was in Hong Kong, but I was like. I don't really know them, you know, and I was like, that sounds horrible. And at that time, it hadn't been confirmed as Abu Sayyaf, but I knew as soon as I heard the case, because, you know, I'd been down there in that yeah. region so much, I knew it was them. Yeah. And so I flew out to Taiwan. Uh, they, they asked, oh, well, it turns out that nobody's really helping them, right? Because, um, you know, Taiwan is, it doesn't have, uh, you know, really formal state-to-state relations with, with the Philippines. So the, uh, the anti-kidnapping police who was assigned to the case just were talking to some Interpol officers and the Chang family, uh, the sister, my mother's uh, best friend had flown over and was just like, look, nobody's telling us anything. We don't really know what's going on, like, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I decided 
to agree to just meet for a breakfast and um, just see if I could just give them some context. I wasn't like planning to help or anything, right? Like, right. you know, just, just chat. And the whole Chang clan basically came out. There's like 10 of them. I remember this, this, uh, this breakfast. And I mean, they were just so desperate, right? I mean, just, yeah, just no answers. I mean, who, who, who you know, I, I can, you can imagine, right? Who, who does it happen to that, you know, you go on holiday, uh, you know, and then you're kidnapped by Filipino terrorists and taken back into a jungle camp, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, my heart reached out to them. So I started to make some phone calls to previous contacts and whatnot. Um, you know, each phone call I made, it turned out that the people that could help were not in the, they, they weren't in the same positions anymore that could directly help, but they knew the guy. And in Asia, as you know, uh, business is all done face-to-face, -face, and it's yeah. all about friendship first mm -hmm. and relationships. And so I couldn't just get on the phone and just talk to somebody for the first time and ask them to help, right? Mm. And as I just continued looking into this, I realized, well, why don't I just do a little bit more because this is, you know, they really don't have anybody helping them. So the next step was I got on a plane and went to Manila to go meet them face-to-face -to, -face to just organize the right people and then connect them. But then as we met, then they, you know, would only feel comfortable talking to me. And, oh, man, this thing just continued as it pulled uh, on the string. So you just got sucked in. I just got sucked in, yeah. And, and um, you know, and then, of course, over a period of time, willingly, and, just, you know, realizing that, the, you know, uh, this thing was, it became so complex that I did realize that uh, that uh, if I pulled out, it would just completely fail. I couldn't just, I couldn't sure. just outsource this. You are holding it together. Yeah, I was holding it together. And so, um the, the short of it is, is that basically uh, I was able to secure the support of uh, Filipino Scout Rangers, which is a, a pretty, which is an elite Filipino army unit, and uh, also tap into a network through Matthew, uh, Matt Pecco, uh, and he was one of the first people I called, <laughs> mm. and he's at Credit Suisse, and he's like <laughs> helping me quarterback this thing while I'm wow, in Manila. Really? Yeah. Okay. And uh, we, we were able to uh, secure the support of uh, Western private military contractors, um, I think the most amazing thing about this is the Chang family had no money really to pay the ransom, which had started out at $10 million, right? right. And uh, we had to negotiate that thing down to into the you know six figure somewhere, um, which was an incredible up and down process, which is a, this is a very long story, so I'm just going to cut, cut through it to it. Sure. Uh, the thing that I want to highlight is that we were able to eventually, I was able eventually to recruit both, org both of these organizations, which didn't trust each other and were at odds the entire time, mm -hmm. right? Um, to do this entirely at no cost, right? I just kept on <laughs> playing to their sense of, um, you know, just sympathy for Good the situation, will goodwill, and, yeah. yeah. And so I like highlighting this story is that what in the middle of all of this is two things. Is one is, one is I don't look at this as an evil, you know, a good evil situation, right? Those people down there are in unbelievable destitute poverty and they can't see any route out. Mm. I just feel that we were born uh, by by luck and fate on opposite teams, you know we're just on different teams, right? Yeah. And they they kidnapped uh, one of one of mine, so to speak, and you know we just we faced off each other as as as, uh, as opponents, you know, yeah. on, on this field. It's not really about good or evil. It's just about you know where the where the cards fell. Um, the second thing is in the middle of this thing, this whole thing, of course, from our perspective, which is this horrible, tragic, and horrible event, is in the middle of it. You get to see some of the best attributes of people of these heroes that kind of stood up, you know, so many people stood up as volunteers to help save Evelyn, you know, and bring her back. Um, and you can, in many ways you can, it's in the worst, in the worst scenarios, uh, is where oftentimes mankind shows its best attributes. Yeah. Right. Because of that stark contrast of the, of the, uh, the background yeah. and, the, and the context. 
So, um, you know, there's certain aspects here that it, there's quite a few NDAs in place. So I, I usually sure, yeah. apologize. No, I, I bleed over this this part. But essentially, these two groups were organized to go in and affect the recovery. And um, and there were subsequent action. There were actions and subsequent actions that resulted in, um, according to the Philippine military, 36 KIA. Right. And uh, that's what gives a lot of spectacular aspects of the story. Although, to be honest, um, the things that I did as a, an American Special Forces uh, guy was way, way more intense than this. But yeah. it comes off like this because of the, the media story. And, and, you know, when we returned to Taiwan, this attracted a ton of attention because um, I, was a rel- I was a completely unknown um, entity as the, uh, the nephew of the sitting uh, president of Taiwan. Mm. And so this story had, had taken up a, a tremendous amount of media attention because this just doesn't happen to Taiwan, Taiwanese people, right? Like yeah. it's a very safe place. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, I think in this, you know, in the States, people are kidnapped all the time. I don't know about by Filipino terrorists, but there, there are roughly about 16 or 17 people, I think even today that are still held by the Abu Sayyaf. Some, really? there's a Japanese guy who's been down there for, I think now for like 10 years. Right. Um, you know, it's very hard to get them out of that jungle, that jungle camp. Uh, mm. This was one of the fastest recorded uh, recoveries of a, of a victim, a kidnapping victim uh, from Abu Sayyaf, from what I understand. Um, so how, how long was she? She was there for 35 days. Right. Yeah, 35 okay. days. Yeah. Um, and uh, so when we returned to Taiwan, um, you know, this was such a big story already in Taiwan. And it was just such a shock to the to the uh, to the uh, uh, to Taiwan of returning and then. Not only is Evelyn Chang back, but then also the guy that brought her back is this unknown nephew of the sitting president who was a West Pointer Special Forces team leader. People's just imaginations and minds were like, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. yeah. It's and the so, sort of thing you say in a film, isn't it? Yeah, right. It's just like, it's almost like, what? And then, uh, um, you know, actually, I immediately left and went to Bali to just go chill out. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and uh, my, you know, I was all over the newspapers in Taiwan for like a week, a week straight. And so that created a lot of the, the media buzz around the story they kind of see yeah. around the internet now and stuff. But what, what I kind of tied this all together, for, at least for Black Panda, is that um, that actually uh, started make that whole event, as I started getting involved in it, it actually gave me that whole sense of clarity and sense of purpose that I felt was quite missing in the last four years as I was kind of meandering my way through private sector and trying to find, like, what is my purpose now, right? Mm. And um, I realized that I... I have developed, you know, almost accidentally the skill set to deal with this broader range of just crisis response, which, like I was talking about earlier, I find a little bit of comfort in is because um, I'm used to making decisions in this type of scenario where there's limited options. And what is enjoyable, one aspect of crisis response is that when you actually help a client or the person that who is in crisis, it binds you together incredibly. Uh, emotionally and, and mm. you know and it's very fulfilling to help somebody um, in your special way right that you have a special skill that you can help somebody truly uh, aid them in a time of need that's very fulfilling so after the uh, uh, after we got back to Taiwan I took some time out uh, went to Bali just to relax and, and it was just time for New Year's as well so right. uh, I just kind of just uh, de-stressed because obviously it was very stressful for, for the 35 days and um when I was there, uh, I was contemplating the entire event and realized, actually, I felt very alive and um, had regained a bit of sense of that clarity uh, and task and purpose that had left me feeling very confused and, um, and angry for, for some reason as well uh, after, after I left the, uh, the military. Um, and 
that inspired uh, inspired me actually to look at that a little bit more closely uh, by way of a you know what was it that made me feel um, uh, feel so energized you know throughout this this case and uh, I realized there's a the, the sense of altruism of helping somebody with your specific uh, skill set right that maybe others cannot do and gives you that kind of the sense of self worth. Um, came around for me in the aspect of crisis response. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's incredibly rewarding to help somebody in a, a time of need like that. And it binds you emotionally together, mm -hmm. right? Um, you're able to keep somewhat of an arm's length away from you know, the emotional cloud that occurs during crisis when you're, you're the person in crisis or you know, have the, the loved one or, or whatever situation. Um, but you're very emotionally involved as well. You know, yeah. It becomes your crisis as sure. well. And uh, while cyber crisis, as cyber attacks are not as emotionally charged as something like a physical crisis. Mm -hmm. um, there is absolutely an aspect of that. You know, it's very invasive, right? When somebody uh, hacks you and is throughout your systems and mm -hmm. or ransoming where all your data. I mean, when we respond to clients, like their looks on their faces, I mean, they are emotionally, you know, harmed yeah. harmed by that. And yeah. and uh, you know, we it's very important, obviously, to have the right bedside manner. But but we care genuinely to come help yeah. solve this solve this problem. Um, you know, and for me, you know, I believe that at Black Panda, um, you know, we've been able to recreate a bit of that uh, sense of task and purpose and calling. Is that we have this very specific skill set uh, to help you. You know, when your hair is on fire, when somebody has come in and violated you, you know, like this, and essentially, or your company is in crisis um, due to you know a massive, you know, a massive. Uh, you know, maybe a ransomware attack that is uh, causing massive business interruption loss for you. You know, this is something that uh, for us has, has uh, meant uh, a bit of a calling, you know, in, in that sense as well. You know, there's a very yeah. strong sense of mission purpose is that for us, we want to be, well, we want to be the best uh, guys, you know, in Asia. And you know that the name Black Panda synonymous is when you have this problem, you call us, right? And we'll show up at your door and help you yeah. through this thing, right? So, yeah. yeah. What I mean, it's one of the. I mean, having uh, recruited in cyber now for coming up to eight years, mm. it, it is one thing that I have noticed. There's a lot of uh, ex-military that have transitioned into cyber, and I think it's mm. one of the wonderful things about the industry that it has given a path for the military. You know, you know, ex-military that want mm. to, you know, trans, you know, transition into into civilization again. It's obviously mm. it's very well documented that people mm. sort of struggle with that, yeah. and I think it's you know it's really wonderful that. You know they do have that route. I mean, what is it you think about? You know, sort of ex-military. I mean, you've touched on a bit already, but mm. what are the sort of the fundamentals? Do you think that they they gain from the military that makes them a good sort of incident responder or threat intel officer? Yeah. So definitely one of the aspects I always like to talk about is that um, you know cybersecurity is not an IT problem. It's a security problem, right? It's not a, a computer that's hacking you on their side. It's a human being, and the human being has friends, colleagues, organization, and different desired end states and strategies according to what their objectives are. And so when you start realizing and thinking about it from that perspective, people from the military, um, and especially somebody uh, like myself who has, a, has a, uh, a very formal computer science you know, education background, plus uh, you know, real world tactical you know, security and military experience, um, it's just an extension, cyber is just an extension of the physical security world to me, right? Mm -hmm. There's still avenues of approach, obstacles, cover and concealment, you know, these basics, uh, uh, key terrain, ba these basics of, um, of military tactics play out in the cyber, cyber realm as well. So it's a directly translatable skill from not the technical standpoint, right, but from a strategic standpoint, right? And so I think it's attractive to 
uh, former military or law enforcement, um, because it's, it's literally just an extension from the physical world into the digital world. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, certainly from a, uh, crisis response aspect, I think there's also a personality, uh, there's a personality, um, uh, uh, pairing there as well. Right. There's an oversimplification that you might hear um, military and law enforcement talk about the world by way of sheep and sheep dogs and wolves, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that you know you're the sheep dog. I think it's a little bit uh, patronizing, but if you if you use that analogy, that you know people in the military and law enforcement like to think of themselves as those sheep dogs protecting mm-hmm. the flock. Yeah. And so whether in a physical realm or whether in a uh, cyber realm, it it is fulfilling that same sense of um, task and purpose again that I was talking yeah. about earlier. So I think it attracts that aspect. And certainly the skill sets, you know, that you learn by way of process and SOPs, right? And making sure that you have execution checklists, making sure that you rehearse, right? Like these fundamentals don't change from a perspective of physical or cyber security. Uh, one of the things that we do at Black Panda is routinely rehearse incident response alerts, right? Okay. When I was a, a butter bar lieutenant in, uh, in, uh, in Korea, uh, every month, there was a random alert siren screaming throughout the camp in case the North Koreans were invading. And we had to jump out of our, uh, out of our, uh, our hooches and um, sprint down to the company headquarters, get in line, report for accountability, and then move on out, get in our tanks, and then roll out to the border, right? And that was something we did every single month. I mean, it was like clockwork. We were ready, right? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can't. The time to prepare for crisis is not when the crisis happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> You're way too late. You're way too late. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's a lot of the uh, secret sauce, you know, when it comes to that military background or special forces background. It's in the planning and the preparation. Yeah. Right? Because you've planned out all the contingencies, all the branches and sequels. You've thought through everything and done the analysis. So when the unexpected occurs, it's not actually unexpected. You've already thought through it. Yeah. So Sometimes people say like, oh, wow, like special forces, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing really that different other than the fact that that meticulous, in my opinion, the, the core aspect is that meticulous planning and analysis that makes that guy look really smart immediately. Yeah, yeah, it's just because yeah. he's thought through it all. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's, it's kind just, of yeah. ingrained in their DNA from yeah. all of the training. Yeah. Or he's actually prepared for the crisis already. Yeah. So he's making decisions much faster because it's they've already gone through the thought process where other people facing it the first time maybe the first time they've ever even thought about thought about this scenario right yeah 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 mm-hmm. when you put it like that it's almost like there's no better person for the for the for the job isn't there an incident responder <laughs> well yeah i mean certainly uh i'm i'm, I'm inspired uh, right now by some of the people in our recruiting pipeline who have um you know military backgrounds or fbi backgrounds and th- this sort of thing and then are getting, you know, their masters in, a, in at SANS. You know, you're mm-hmm. getting like these sort of people now yeah. coming through of combining the two sides. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very that's very powerful, right? Yeah. Is when you cross and overlap two two industries, skill sets like that, and, and bring them together. Yeah. That that person is quite quite valuable. Um, sure. Now, that's not to say that somebody who is just a pure instant responder cannot develop these skills. Course, and, yeah. and there's absolutely an aspect of that in just the field of itself because mm-hmm. it draws a lot. The parallels from the two the two sides. Yeah. Again, for me, it's the same 
it's the same arena that you're playing in, right? Yeah. It's just different terrain, as I like to call sure. it, yeah. right? Whether it be jungle, desert, you know, urban, all these things have the same principles in physical yeah. as they do in cyber. It's just another terrain that you're exactly, addressing, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. You're just you know, in server rooms instead. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Go, going back to when you, when you had the idea, what was it that made you, you know, want to start up your own company? Because it's quite a daunting thing, mm-hmm. especially for... You know, if you've just, you know, coming back into civilization, you've, you know, tried your hand at trading, you know, what was it that made you, you know, think I'm actually going to, st- you know, I want to start a company rather than, you know, interviewing for, for companies? Yeah, um, definitely uh, for me, I think that, uh, you know, working at other companies was a great experience, you know, um, allowed me to uh, kind of dabble my, dabble my, you know, my feet in the water, so to speak, of a private sector. Um, but I've always, I've always just kind of wanted to do my own thing, right? Mm. You know what I mean? Like just kind of like carve blaze my own path, so to speak, you know? So, um, you know, you know, obviously it very much remains to be seen if black panel continue, continue on, right. And, you know, um, anything can happen. Right. But, uh, uh, I think that for me, you know, personality wise, just drawn to it from the aspect of having the freedom of creativity, yeah. right. And, um, being able to come up with your own idea and then see it through from, from end to end. Um, and that was attractive to me by way of the, the freedom aspects, you know, cause when I think about, my financial goals and whatnot. It's not about, Oh, I just want to like make a ton of money. I want to make money so that I can be free to make the choices that I want to make in my life. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I could make a lot of money, you know, in, in finance, I can make a lot of money in tech. Um, but I wouldn't have the same amount of freedom, uh, ultimately if I had otherwise just started my own thing. Right. Obviously, you know, I, I make less money on a day to day basis, you know, uh, at the current stage of the startup versus what I was making in those other industries, but I have vastly more freedom in my life. Yeah. Right. Vastly. Yeah. And so from a quality of life standpoint and balance, I think that I'm winning out on that, which comes back around to our number one core value at, yeah. at, uh, at black Panda. For yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's cool. I mean, yeah, I, with, in terms of the, the future of, of black Panda, I mean, what, what do you see? Yeah. What are the, the sort of the objectives? Yeah. So, um, so for us right now, uh, you know, we've, we've made a lot of headway in the, uh, uh, the insurance, the insurance industry, because I do believe that one of the, uh, aspects of cybersecurity, particularly incident response, but overall cybersecurity, um, is that, that we're going to see, uh, more and more of a tie in into the insurance industry. Um, you know, this is something that, uh, happened upon about three, three, four years ago at Black Panda and started engaging with, uh, Lloyd's of London, uh, mm. partly due to, because of, you know, we're situated in, in Hong Kong and, and Singapore, uh, the strong ties back to, back to London, of course, for business, uh, and made, made my way out there several times, uh, to, to meet with them. And so I, I believe now quite fundamentally that, um, insurance is just a form of security or security is a form of insurance, right? They're interchangeable in that sense. Nothing in the world, if you imagine uh, from a physical standpoint, and I always like describing cyber and physical analogies because everything in the physical world for safety and security, um, any term that exists in that world, if you put the word cyber in front of, it exists. It's just called something different by engineers, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And it can be very confusing for the, the layman to come in. But if you start pairing these together, then it becomes a little bit more clear of the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the uh, interchangeability or the aspects of all of this just being in the realm of security. Anyway, so in the physical world, you can, I think everybody understands nothing can be 100% secure in the physical world. But for some reason, people think, why isn't this 100% secure in the cyber world, right? And somebody gets, uh, gets breached and then the poor IT guy just immediately gets fired, right? Yeah. Especially here in Asia, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and uh, uh, what I want to bring around with that is that um, 
Yeah. So with insurance, um, insurance to me is covering the final bit of residual risk, right? So nothing can be 100% secure, but let's say that your preventative measures or your castle walls are covering 90 to 95% of your security. Well, what's your hedge behind that? If they break through the walls, you need to have the firefighters, the emergency responders on standby outside of your castle walls. That's where Black Panda comes into play. Then the damage that Black Panda was able to uh, suppress, there's still some residual damage, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, possibly left over from that. That's where the insurance comes in and helps pay for those costs, right. which attempts to uh, mitigate away that last bit of residual risk as close as possible to 100%. It's still not yeah. full, right? Yeah. Your insurance policy may not cover everything just because you've just had indemnity, cover your business inter- interruption laws or paid for your your GDPR fine or your, um, or the ransom, you've still taken damage, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing around that. So you, you didn't mitigate away or transfer all the, the cyber risk, yeah. but that's just about as close as it can get to me, right? Yeah. Is having a full, you know, managed security service or IT service provider providing your, your castle walls, however high that you need them to be for your, your purposes, having a proper, uh, instant responder on standby as your hedge, right? To mitigate the damage as fast as possible and also help you, piece through the rubble to figure out exactly how to best uh, patch up the holes of how they got in. Sure. Um, and then that insurance product coming in and um, and uh, paying for so those damages. So so that is something that uh, we're exploring much, much deeper on the uh, on the insurance side. Um, you know, we're uh, you know, we, we do have plans uh, in Q4 uh, to launch um, a, uh, a sister company uh, with, uh, called uh, Panamatics Underwriting. Um, which has its own InsureTech AI platform uh, uh, within it. And uh, we should be good to go with our, uh, as an MGA, Managing General Agent, mm-hmm. uh, which is described as holding the pen of the underwriter. Right? All the capital is provided by Lloyds of London uh, in this situation. And, um, and then we do the actual underwriting itself. And uh, our license is currently planned to be out of Hong Kong. We're working on uh, Singapore as well. Um, and yeah, we want to be able to provide that insurance product as well with Black Panda attached as the, uh, the responders and kind yeah. of, I call this the last mile, yeah, right? Yeah. Right. Like, you know, all, so many products in such a huge industry of cyber, cybersecurity prevention, my DNA is in crisis response. And yeah. so I want to be that hedge, your backup solution yeah. that you have on standby. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. That's another one of the healthy things I think about the industry because it is a relatively new industry. There's mm-hmm. so much kind of headspace and scale for you know innovating and kind mm-hmm. of new ideas, new products, new right. service lines. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's uh, it's very uh, yeah very inspirational. <laughs> yeah. And your how big is the company now? So we're currently uh, twelve people. Right. Okay. Yeah. So we're quite lean. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and to be honest, uh, I would like to keep the company as small as possible for. Okay like forever <laughs> yeah you know, like um you well, i guess it comes down to the quality of life you know you like your you know your the lifestyle aspect yeah. would start to kind of you'd be yeah sort of diminishing on that as right. the company gets bigger and bigger and right more right responsibility um we're getting ready to go into our uh series a fundraising in the next you know six months or six months to nine months or so and uh you know after after the raise is done um uh, i believe we'll have to expand from there a bit but um for the most part, uh, yeah, would like to try to keep the company as efficient and lean as possible, right? Yeah, yeah. And what are the? You're obviously still quite um, involved in in hiring directly. You're probably mm-hmm. sort of 
I don't know, towards the end of the mm. interview process. Yeah. What are the key things that you sort of look for? What are the, the you know, I don't, I'm sure you don't want to give all your questions yeah. away now, but what are the, I guess, what are the, yeah, the sort of the fundamentals, characteristics yeah. that you kind of look to kind of uncover? Yeah. So actually, I would love to just even talk about our recruiting process very briefly. So, sure. um, so we have, uh, I've written actually in the bylaws of Black Panda that we've democratized our hiring process. So meaning that um, even as a CEO founder, like I don't have the, uh, the power to just hire somebody unilaterally, right? Mm. Um, everybody who interviews this individual needs to give a very strong resounding yes. And uh, I care about that because it gives, um, it gives a sense of, well, everybody at, uh, everybody at Black Panda pretty much, uh, except for our interns, um, uh, have, uh, have uh, ESOPs, right? So there's already a skin in the game by way of a stake in the company. Um, but also, and, and actually several uh, uh, Black Panda folk who have come on um, afterwards have invested equity themselves into the company as well. Sure. So quite a bit of skin in the game as it is, and that helps contribute to the unity, um, the unity and uh, sense of um, the, the sense of uh, cohesion in our, yeah. in our company. But um, also, uh, also this aspect of ownership, you know, is that you get to decide with the same vote that I do whether this person is somebody that we want to spend all this time with, right? We, we literally spend more time with our colleagues than we do with our families, yeah. right? It's crazy, right? The world, is, the world is completely backwards in this, but that's a reality of what it is. And um, it matters. It matters to be around people that you enjoy being around, mm -hmm. right? And that you value, value as intellectual, as competent, as, um, you know, all these things contribute to the quality of your life. And again, tying back to our number one value of uh, balance. So, um, so, uh, uh, so that's one aspect. And then, so we have a, we have a couple of interviews that one is uh, technical, one is cultural and then, uh, or sorry, one is technical. Um, one is a, uh, uh, CV review and then there's a case study usually. Right. And that's the one that usually, and we love this as well as when people are like case study, like I'm so senior, I do this and this and they're like, I'm not doing case study. Great. Please go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Off you go. Yeah. <laughs> Off yeah, you go. yeah. Great. Right. It's an easy filter for us right off the bat, you know, yeah. because, um, we want, you know, people, as any company does, but we really focus on that is we want you to want to be at this company. Yeah. Right. And that is a bit of a haze just to see, do you really want to be here? And that's a yeah, really fast that's way. That's a really good, yeah. It's a really good filter. I think to have, because yeah. you, you know that they're probably not going to be willing to sort of roll up their sleeves and yeah, exactly. Right. Do you have the humility, which is also yes. one of our major core values, humility. Um, do you have the humility to do this uh, case study and then to come before a group of people who are just going to intellectually challenge you and spar with you, mm. you know, for an hour to see whether or not we think that you're worthy to stand here next yeah. to us. Right. And so, uh, I'm always the final interview, which largely for mine is a, is a culture, a culture check, right? Yeah. Um, again, you know, I believe so much in, uh, you know, the harmony of the company, um, you know, having built so many teams, uh, you know, in organizations in my career, I've come to realize a lot of times there's this classic situation where you have this superstar on your team who ends up acting like a prima donna yeah. and you have this, ah, oh, but they're so important. They're so good. No. My lesson learned for that is every time cut that head off. Really? <laughs> cut that head off. Yeah. Um, if I would much rather have uh, people who are, you know, obviously I don't want mediocre people, but people who are you yeah. know, above average versus a few superstars. Yeah. You know, um, like work ethic over talent, cohesion yeah. above all, right? Yeah. And having that, everybody being in sync and, uh, and having that collaboration, open communication. 
um, I, I think is so critical in terms of uh, team building. And so uh, for me, the, the last check is basically around, you know, uh, trying to dig into the personality a little bit more and seeing whether or not you're the right culture fit uh, with the existing team. And I think that's yeah. very important actually for people who are recruiting is, you know, because one of the things of our whole education system is that we are brainwashed to seek approval from others and validation yeah. from yeah. others, right? Yeah. You know, even completely subjective topics like writing yeah. and somebody literally writes and tells you this even is more so nowadays with uh, things like social media yeah yeah you know, you're that's right really you're right. magnified it i think that's a good point and, and yeah that's a great point especially for uh you know for uh, a younger younger folk coming up um and so i think that um a lot of times people come through the recruiting process and view that the same way as well kind of like admissions into a college, right? It's like, oh, uh, you didn't get into Stanford. Like, well, you must be dumb. You know, or you're, you aren't smart enough yeah. to be in, you know, to get into, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. to, to the school. You're not smart enough. No, this, you just didn't meet the criteria, particularly for this organization in their admissions mm -hmm. process, right? Which they were certainly uh, selecting for certain things, which doesn't value you, right? Yeah. And um, so I would just comment that, you know, for us, Black Panda is a very, uh, unique organization and then so if the culture fit didn't work or the recruiting you know didn't didn't come through for you um that's not a mark on you it's just you just weren't a fit into what we are right mm -hmm. you know what i mean like yeah, i think yeah, that's yeah. really important to tell people because so. and that's something that uh for me also required stepping out as an entrepreneur to kind of break through that mold of that mindset right yeah. is that i don't need approval from individuals you know or organizations as an entrepreneur the only thing i care about is what the market says yeah right the market doesn't lie and they're yeah. br brutal with you as well yeah right? yeah very very candid and honest but that's the only real opinion that i care about you know yeah. and so um i think that's important just to communicate to um to people recruiting and maybe you know, especially if they're having a challenge and feeling down on themselves from a self-esteem standpoint sure. it's not that it's the, it's, it's the organizations it's just not the right fit yeah you don't want to be in that you don't want to be in the organization that you weren't the right fit for because you're going to have a very hard time succeeding or even enjoying your day-to-day -day life anyway right yeah so i think that's very you know if, if i could communicate that you know kind of encouragement you know is getting the right fit is just as important for you, if not more important for you. you know? Yeah, 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 that's good. That's, that's yeah. awesome. That's really, yeah, yeah, sort of inspirational. I think a lot of people would, yeah, sort of, um, yeah, to take a lot of, um, yeah, interest in that, particularly people that are sort of growing a company or even, you know, team leader in a, in a big company. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, really interesting. What sort of, because there's, at times like this is, is when people are starting to think about, you know, maybe I should quit my job or maybe they've lost their job and they've mm. had that kind of burning sort of idea in the back of their mind mm. and they haven't had the courage to, you know, start up their own company. What yeah. advice would you give, you know, people that are looking to Ooh. set up their own company? Yeah, I mean, well, certainly, uh, you know, you have to make sure your idea is, is as well-researched as you possibly can be. You know, it, you know, uh, I have a favorite quote from Mike Tyson, of all people. <laughs> he says, uh, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? Yeah, I'm familiar so, with that. <laughs> It's actually so wise, right? Yeah, it is. Um, but the, the point is, is that uh, not because your plan is going to be perfect and it's going to work out exactly like that, but it doesn't cost you really any, like very much to plan. You yeah. know what I mean? And that can be done even while you have your current job and your income coming in because capital is your lifeblood, right? Mm. You know, cash is king, blah, 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 all these, you know, these cliches. But it really is true, right? Especially mm. as a startup. And so before the moment that you would take, uh, invest any of your own risk, i.e. quitting your job and then start starting on this, do as much research as possible. And I don't mean just Googling things. Go out and sell the idea as though you already have the company. Okay. Right? 
That doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. Yeah. Are you being like kind of misleading the person? Kind of like, but you know, it's, it doesn't really, it doesn't cost you anything. Just to talk about the idea with a little bit of, you know, just frame it as the authority that already exists just to get the market feedback. Yeah. Right. Soft sell it. Right. Soft sell it, you know? And yeah. What if they say like, yeah, I want to buy that right now. Oh, well, yeah. Then just be honest. Like, oh, well, you know, be ready in maybe like three to six months or something, but thank you for your feedback. You know what I mean? Like just going out and doing that sort of research, the market research, not, Mm not academic research, right? Sure. Um, actually selling the idea, seeing what partnership we can, doing as much as you possibly can and getting set up to the point that you know that now this has legs, right? Yeah, like yeah, this yeah. possibly has come together. Sure. Because Blackman is actually the second company I attempted starting. Uh, uh, you know, the first one was a mixed martial arts clothing line, which is <laughs> violating all sorts of ideas that I'm talking about right now. Right. <laughs> which okay. is why I'm like, you know, a lot of my... I actually generally try to only give advice for things that I've made mistakes on. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, so it's a segue because when people give you advice, I believe, when Mm -hmm. people give you advice of things they've succeeded on, I think a lot of it is just self-validation of things, you know, versus... Yeah, exactly. I mean, those are the crucial lessons that you learn when it it fails. fails. It's very, very common, you know, entrepreneurs. It's often their like seventh or eighth time, Mm. you know, uh, go at it. I think it's a more honest advice. Yeah. Because it's like, this didn't work. These are the pitfalls. Yeah, here's the pitfalls, right? Versus like look how awesome I was. And yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I would, I would, uh, do as much as humanly possible as a singleton to the point that literally you're bursting with the opportunity before, uh, either, uh, bringing in a buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't, and what I was about to say was that, uh, for my first company and even a bit with black Panda, I didn't have the confidence to start it by myself first, you mm-hmm. know, in some ways, you know, so, um, you know, I, obviously I needed Matt. It was, it was huge in terms of uh, my co-founder and all that stuff. I mean, it's outside of the founding team, yeah, right. Of, of possibly trying to build as more, you know, at the, at the beginning, so to speak, um, you know, uh, would, would give you more, uh, more freedom and, and, and leverage down the road, you know? Sure. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, mm. Thank you so much for uh, sharing uh, the the Black Panda story, and yeah, yeah long may uh, you continue to have uh, lots of success. Thank you. You're a very yeah inspirational figure, and thank you very much for sharing yeah the the, the story and the, and the background and how how it came to be. Oh, mm. another, another thing I've learned about you is that you're uh, a jiu-jitsu junkie. As yeah, well. yeah, 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 yeah. How, <laughs> how long have you been um, involved in jiu-jitsu? So technically, uh, technically over twenty years, right? Uh, with long breaks in between, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I've been training a lot of injuries, right? Broken, like it was, uh, you know, emergency spinal surgery, which is this uh, lovely scar I have on my neck. <laughs> right. <laughs> Almost left me uh, paralyzed, Battle actually. Scars. Battle wow, scars, right. a couple of torn ACLs, and yeah, oh, but it's, it's a labor of love. I mean, uh, you know, I'm actually going to go train this afternoon. Um, you know, jujitsu for me is uh, a great outlet of what I believe is a form of mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much again uh, for for sharing. Uh, It's great to to see you. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll speak again soon. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Cybersecurity Unlocked is also available on YouTube. Please like and subscribe to get the latest updates.